Genesis chapter 1. As Christians, we need to have a biblical worldview of God. We've looked at that in the past few weeks, in the biblical worldview of, of the Bible's truthfulness, so we can say this book is right and true and I can depend upon it. We need to have a biblical view of the sufficiency of Scripture. And then we also need to have a biblical view of life. Where did life come from? But all of those are foundational for the biblical worldview of origins. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, is the biblical worldview of origins. It's amazing how many Christians don't have a really solid biblical worldview of origins because we are plagued in our world with the philosophies of evolution. Evolutionary theory is the teaching that over billions of years, the solar system in the universe came into existence. And the slowly... It evolved into the complexity that we find in our universe today. It's promoted everywhere you turn. It's promoted in children's books. It's promoted on the media. It's promoted in schools. And it's taught and promoted as fact. And that's not a fact at all. It's only a theory. There's no fact in it whatsoever. It's only a theory. And such claims confuse and intimidate many Christians. And as a result, there's been Christians who have try to accommodate evolution through inserting some of the billions of years into the Bible account of creation. They try to say that, well, God maybe gradually did some of the things he did. What we really need is we need to maintain a truly biblical worldview of origins. And there's, this is a topic that is mammoth. And there's no way that I'm going to address this topic adequately today. But I hope to give you some basic facts that will set you in the right direction and give you some help to be able to uh, find your way in this. And I strongly encourage you to dig deeper on it. Some great websites to go to. Answers in Genesis is a great website to get some good information that will help you on this. Uh, it will give you some very good help. Also, up here I have a pile of tracks that I wrote a number of years ago. I've been, uh, the title is More Than a Monkey. And it just uh, shares the gospel and helps us to share with people that, hey, we're not monkeys. We're not animals. We're, we're created in God's image. And uh, God did something wonderful for us. You're welcome to come up and get some of those if you'd like to afterwards. I've got a few more at home as well. So they're there for your taking. But as we look at this this morning and take a, just an a, a overview of this topic of a biblical worldview of origins. When we talk about biblical worldview, what we're saying is that we need to have all of our thinking and philosophy and our, and our understanding of the origins based upon the Bible. And how do we do that in a world where evolution is saying, no, it happened millions and billions of years ago, and we've got all this proof. Well, they don't have any proof at all, but they claim they have proof. And we're going to be tearing some of that apart and looking at it and considering some of that. But as we think about this thing, first of all, notice with me in the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God created all things. And that is the statement from the Bible. God gives us that, and we've established in the past weeks the 
faithfulness of the scriptures. We can depend on this book. It's not going to lie to us. God said, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, we need to have an understanding of these things, and that is that neither creation nor evolution can prove origins. Neither creation nor evolution can prove evolution. And the reason I say that is because no observable creation is taking place now. Thus, we cannot, it cannot be repeated, it cannot be observed, and it cannot be tested. Therefore, it cannot be scientific. And so we cannot say that creation is scientifically proven truth. But creation is a theistic, biblical teaching that we can depend upon. Now, no observable evolution is taking place now either. And so, therefore, the evolutionists cannot say that their theory can be repeated or observed or tested. Therefore, it is not scientific. Evolution is not scientific. Evolution is a theory. Faith is the basis for both creation and evolution. Faith. Now, the creationists readily admit that. In fact, the Bible teaches that. We read over in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. The Bible teaches this by faith. We believe it by faith. However, the evolutionists resist this fact. They don't like to admit that what they believe is faith. And so the evolutionary Theory is taken by faith, by the evolutionist, and the creationist, I guess you could call it a theory because it cannot be proven, is accepted by Christians by faith in the word of God. Now, we believe it is true because it is based upon the word of God, and the word of God is dependable and accurate and sufficient. Both creation and evolution models make predictions But the creation predictions best fit what we see in the universe today. You look around us in our world today. Everything you see best fits the creationist model, doesn't fit the evolutionary model. What do I mean by that? You take the human body, the details of this human body, just one little part of the, even if you just took one cell, And you look at that cell, and you look at the complexity of that cell, you look at the details of that cell, it was designed, it was programmed, it has given life, and evolution cannot explain any of that. They just say it accidentally happened over millions of billions of years ago, and it just kind of evolved and got better and better and better and better and better until it got to today. And yet that absolutely goes against scientific fact, because scientific fact teaches the second law of thermodynamics, and the second law of thermodynamics says that everything is getting worse and worse all the time. Things are breaking down. Things are degenerating. And that is an absolute fact of science. And yet that goes absolutely against the scientific theory of evolution, where they say everything is getting better and better and better. So the creation model best fits the things that we can see in the universe today. Now, the Bible states very clearly that God created. Now, I want to show you some of these verses. We just read verse number one. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, when God created, he created 
He created time, past, present, and future. Before God created, there was no time. Sometimes people say, well, what did, what did God do in all the eons and eons and eons of years before creation, before the beginning? There was no time before the beginning. God has just always existed in timeless space. So God created time, past, present, and future. God created space, length, depth, and height. You can't have space without time. You can't have time without space. They work together. God also created matter, the electrons and the neutrons and the protons that make up matter. God created all of that. And all of those work together. They work in harmony. You can't have one without the other. God created all these things. So when it says that in the beginning God created heaven and earth, he created all of these things. They came into existence like that. Evolution wants us to believe that billions of years ago, nothing exploded into everything. That takes far more faith than believing that an almighty God spoke and brought it into existence. Turn with me now to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9. It's a little before Job. If you find Psalms, back up a little bit. Nehemiah. Chapter six, or sorry, chapter nine, and verse number six. This is the, one of the best verses in the whole Bible on creation. Nehemiah chapter nine and verse number six. Thou, even thou art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all the, their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all. The host of heaven worshipeth thee. God created everything. The scriptures are very clear about this teaching. Now flip over to the New Testament with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I want you to see this. It will be helpful to you. Mark your Bibles. You need to know this information because when someone's trying to tell you that the Bible doesn't lead us in the right direction, the Bible doesn't talk about this. The Bible talks a lot about this. John chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know that the, you read further down into verse 14, you see the, the Word was speaking of Jesus Christ. All right, So Jesus Christ was with God, and the, Jesus Christ was God. Verse number 2, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, was involved in creation. God the Father created all. Genesis 1, 1. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, created everything that exists. John chapter 1, verse 3. The two of them are the same being. They work together at this. Now flip over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and look at verse number 16. Colossians chapter 1, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, and verse number 16. For by him... Were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So the Bible makes it very clear. God created everything. God created everything. 
And so when, when you read in the books millions and millions of years ago, they say, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God created everything. It didn't evolve. It didn't explode and come into existence. It didn't gradually get better. God created everything. But not only did God create everything, but secondly, I want us to see here, back in Genesis chapter 1, that God created in six literal days. Six literal days. We just sang our little chorus about creation based on Genesis chapter 1. But Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God created in six literal days. Now, why is this important? It is very important. Ken Ham explains it this way. He says, in the days of creation, if the days of creation are really geologic ages, of millions of years, then the gospel message is undermined at its foundation because it puts death, disease, thorns, suffering before the fall. The Bible tells us that there was no sin before the fall. There was no death before the fall. There was no corruption before the fall. And if we put all these things before the fall, then we have major problems with the doctrine of the Scriptures. If we cannot trust the Bible's word in Genesis 1, and also in Exodus 20, verse 11, and also in Exodus 31, verse 17, that all of them teach us that God created in six literal days, if we cannot trust that, then we have no assurance that we can trust the rest of the Bible. I mean, if you cannot trust that Genesis 1 is accurate, then you don't have any guarantee that John chapter 3 is accurate or that Romans chapter 6 is accurate. You have no guarantee any of the rest of the Bible is accurate if you cannot trust one passage of the Bible. No, the truth of the matter is the Bible is accurate and true. Earlier I mentioned that Christians have tried over the years to weave evolutionary millions of years into the Bible. One of those ways that they've done that is by coming up with what they call the gap theory. They see between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, there was a big gap of billions of years. That's not what the Bible says. Because they say during that big gap, there was another creation that messed up and God just kind of dissolved it and it turned into form and void, uh, without form and void, and then God kind of put it all back together in Genesis 1 as God's fixing up the mess that he had already made. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's reading into the Scripture. There's another theory of the day-age theory. You've probably heard that, that a day of, with the Lord is a, at, like, as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Well, that only, if that was true in that sense of the word, it would only give them 6,000 years. It wouldn't give them millions and billions. All right? So they still have a problem. But that's not the case because that's not what the Bible is teaching there. And we'll see that in just a moment. I'll go into that in a little bit more detail. Another one is theistic evolution. Theistic evolution is the idea that God got it all started. God kind of wound it up and then let evolution develop it all. God started it billions of years ago and just let evolution develop all the things that have developed until today. God was the Big Bang. That's not what the Bible teaches either. The Bible very clearly tells us that God created everything in six literal days. We just need to let the Bible defend itself. Look at here in verse number 5 of Genesis 1. 
the end of the verse, it says, And the evening and the morning were the first day. Verse number 8. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Verse 13. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse number 19. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Verse 23. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Verse number 31. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Sounds like days to me. And these are literal days. Ken Ham again states that uh, giving the, he gives the following evidence of six literal days of creation. He says each day in Genesis includes a number and the phrase evening and morning. And we just looked at all those verses. In the Bible, he says, with outside of Genesis, so you leave Genesis and go to other places in the Bible, he says the Hebrew word yom, which is the word day, uh, is used with, anytime it's used with a number or with evening or with morning, it always, always refers to a literal day. Now, Yom can, in a few occasional places, refer to a, an age, the day of Moses or something like that, but it doesn't have the number and it doesn't have the evening and morning attached with it. But anytime it does, it's always a day, a 24-hour day. When we think again of that claim that uh, we find about God, one day with God is a thousand years, and that there's found two places in the Bible. One is in Second uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, and the other is in Psalm 90, verse number 4. And they claim that, you know, because one day is like a thousand years to God, and a thousand years is like a day, then, well, actually, that cancels itself out if you really look at it. But if they were, they try to use that to say that God, you know, to God, it's really a long period of time. But you use that same logic in other places in the Bible, and you have major problems. Let me give you a few examples. It rained 40 days and 40 nights, not 40,000 years during the Noahic flood. We all know that. Joseph predicted that the butler would be released from prison in three days, not in 3,000 years. Daniel asked to eat pulse for 10 days, not for 10,000 years. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, not 3,000 years. See, it just doesn't work. This idea of trying to make God say something he didn't say, it doesn't work. When God said he created things in six days, he meant six days. They had an evening and a morning, just like today. We have an evening and a morning. They were six literal days that God created in. But then we ask ourselves another important question. How long ago was that? Well, God created everything about 6,000 years ago. How do we know that? Well, first of all, let's just say that there's a, there's a old earth view and a young earth view. When we talk about the old earth view, that's the one that goes back and said the old earth proponents, they say that the earth is, uh, began about 4.5 billion years ago, and the universe began about 14 billion years ago. This idea of approximately 6,000 years ago age was common and was the norm until recent years. Only in the late 18th century 
did the idea of long years ago come about? Because they didn't want to believe that God created everything. They wanted to somehow say that it evolved and you can't have evolution unless you have billions of years because they know that evolution isn't taking place. You cannot see it. They say, yes, but it's happening so slowly you can't observe it. Yeah, it's happening so slowly it doesn't exist. But they say, with billions of years, it probably could happen. And so they have to have the billions of years in there in order to make their theory make any sense at all. That's why they push for the billions of years. It is not because they have fossil evidence. It is not because they have any kind of evidence. The fossil evidence, all most of their evidence they use is circular reason. They say this stone is this this fossil is millions of years old. And how do you know that? Because it's in this kind of a stone. And how do you know that stone's millions of years? Because that fossil's in it. They just use circular reasoning. It doesn't make sense because they have nothing to base it on. But they have to have the millions of years in order to make their theory make any sense at all. The young earth proponents say that the earth is only about 6,000 years old, and they base that primarily on the chronologies of the Bible. We'll look at that in just a moment. Because God created instantly, God doesn't need millions and billions of years. You read through Genesis chapter 1, and God spoke and it happened, and he spoke and it happened, and he spoke and it happened. God created instantly. God just stretched out his arms and it happened. God did it instantly, out of nothing, because God is God. And he is the designer and the creator of all things. And, you know, the evolution will say, yeah, well, that's just a bunch of fairy tales. You're just believing by faith. Yes, but they're just believing all they believe by faith. They believe that by faith, nothing at all exploded into everything billions of years ago. Now, that's a bigger fairy tale yet. That nothing exploded into everything. And yet that's exactly what they teach. That's what they believe. They have to have some beginning and they have no beginning. God is our beginning. They have no beginning but a big bang. Where did the young earth proponents get their 6,000 years? Well, I mentioned a moment ago from the chronologies of the Bible. Andrew, uh, sorry, Bodie Hodge makes a statement. He says that Adam was created on day six. So there were five days before him. If we add the dates from Adam to Abraham, we get about 2,000 years. Using the Masoretic Hebrew text, which is the standard Hebrew text behind our Bible, the Masoretic Hebrew text from Genesis 5 to 11, whether the Christian or secular, most scholars agree that Abraham lived about 2,000 years ago. So you add the 2,000 years ago, that's 4,000 years ago from, uh, or sorry, he lived 2,000 B.C., so that's 4,000 years from uh, up before now. And you add that with the other 2,000 years, you get 6,000 years. That's where we get the 6,000 years. Now, there's some variation. Some people say, yes, but there could have been some things left out of some of these chronologies. Maybe a, a little tiny bit on some occasions. That they've skipped a little area and just kind of generally naming some people. If that was true, we're not talking about millions of years. We're talking about a handful. So it really doesn't change anything. And so if we just take the Bible at face value, you you trace it back to about 6,000 years ago. Usher's chronology traces it back to uh, to 4,004 B.C. And that's a pretty standard accepted rate. And we see that Hodge continues on, and he, and he says that uh, the historian Bill Cooper's research in, 
his book After the Flood, provides intriguing dates from several ancient cultures. The first was from the Anglo-Saxons. Their history has a 5,200 years from creation to Christ, according to the Lawden Parker Chronicles. Cooper researched also indicate that a a man named uh, Nemius recorded the ancient British history has 5,228 years from creation to Christ. The Irish chronology has a date of 4,000 years from creation to Christ. And that one fits much closer to what we have observed. All right, now, this just shows that it's not just a bunch of nuts that are coming up with these ideas. You can do it yourself. You can do the math yourself and just go through and start adding up the dates that are in there. And you'll come to the same conclusion. It was about 6,000 about 6, years ago that God created everything. And yet we, we look around and we say, yes, but everything's, you know, these are millions of years ago. The dinosaurs died out 70 million years ago. No, they didn't. The dinosaurs lived with man. There's evidence that they lived with man. There's footprints that they found in the, in the stone left after the flood of dinosaurs walking in the sand and it's cemented now into rock. And there's human footprints right side by side and even overlapping them. Dinosaurs and men lived in the same time. And all through the Bible, the Bible talks about dinosaurs. It talks about bohemus. It talks about um, the, the other dinosaur there in, in uh, Job. That, uh, and it, it talks about um, dragons. What were the dragons? Well, you look it up. You studied it out. It was sea monsters. Many of them had the descriptions that were in ancient history. You know, you, you, the, uh, many of the cultures of the world talk about dragons. There were the dinosaurs that have died out. There's all kinds of these things that are in, in history. It's one of the most fascinating things you can study. We're going to dig a little bit more into that another time when we look at the flood. But I just want you to see here that the, the evidence that the uh, evolutionists try to claim have no leg to stand on. Now, one last thing I want us to note this morning, and that is this, that God created with purpose. God created with a purpose. That's very important. Evolution says we're just a result of a big bang. We're just an accident. You have no purpose in life whatsoever. You're just a blob that has evolved into what you are today. There's no future for you. There's no hope for you. There's no purpose for you. You're just another blob among the millions and billions of blobs that are on the earth. That's not what God says. God tells us just the opposite. God tells us that he loves us. And he created us intentionally. He created us with a purpose. And as we look at this, we see, first of all, in Genesis chapter 3, that God created, well, we don't have, no, stay in Genesis 1 for right now. I've got a couple things to show you in Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1, that God created, one of the purposes God created was for reproduction. Now, Evolution has a very big problem trying to say that this little slime turned into this little creature and this little creature, then all of a sudden we get a mama and a papa creature. Where'd they come from? Well, well, they just evolved. Well, how did that happen? Well, just another another good accident. Well, God purposely created male and female of all the things that he created. And he created them so that they could reproduce. We see in verse number 11. It says in of chapter 1, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herbs yielding seed uh, and fruit 
trees yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. God designed all the plants in our world to be able to produce fruit that had seeds in them, and those seeds were able to be reproduced the same product after their kind. You will never plant a tomato seed and get a grapevine. It won't happen. Why? Because tomato seeds reproduce after their kind. And so do every other kind of seed. It produces after its kind. Perhaps I've shared this with you years, years ago. Melody and I were first married. I was a, our, we'd just been married a short time, and, and a friend in our church allowed us a space in their garden to be able to plant a garden. I grew up having a garden, and I thought that'd be great to have a garden. So we bought seeds, and we planted our garden, and, and we, we had a particular kind of pumpkin that we really liked, and so we bought seeds for that kind of pumpkin. We planted it in our garden, and it was a, a butternut pumpkin. We don't see them over here very much. Uh, but um, as things grew and came up, and, and I thought, these pumpkins are looking strange. They're not looking like the ones I was expecting. They just stayed in a little bush, and they're, usually they crawl all over the place. And when the fruit came on them, they were a totally different kind of pumpkin. And I thought, no, wait a minute. Still about back of there. It says we got butternut pumpkins, but they had made a mistake. God didn't make a mistake. Those pumpkins didn't come up the wrong thing. Somebody goofed what they put in the packet. All right? They always come up what God's made them to do. They produce after their kind. They produce after their kind. And then we find also down in verse number 21 and 24 uh, that God tells us that the same is true of the animals. Verse 21, And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth upon the waters and brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God was saw that it was good. And verse number uh, 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after his kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after his kind. So all of these creatures, God made them after their kind so that they could breed within their kind and reproduce after their kind. And so their kind continually, continually, continually produces. And God didn't have to create, you know, 25,000 kinds of dogs. He created two dogs, a male and a female, with all the genetic code in their DNA to be able to produce all the different kinds of dogs we have today. That is amazing. That is amazing, but that's a scientific fact. And that is true about every creature and all the diversity among the the creatures. God put it within them so that they could breed and produce, but with all kinds of variations within their kind. You look at all the people in our room today. There's not a one of us that looks exactly alike. We're all different because God has put in our DNA the ability to be the same kind but have different features in amongst our same kind. God created the male and female. We see in verse number 27. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created him. Male and female created he them. And then verse number 28, and God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God had Adam and Eve. He created them male and female. God didn't create some other kind. It was just male and female. And he created them so that they could reproduce and produce more of their same kind. 
and in, in, the, in the human genetics were all the different skin colors that we have today was in the genetics of Adam and Eve. They had the ability for all of the genetic colors and variations that we have in our world today, all in their DNA. God was an amazing creator. And God created it in a wonderful way that they would be able to reproduce. Then God tells us in Genesis 2.24 that he ordained marriage. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. God's plan was for one man and one woman to be married for life. Any kind of sexual union outside of marriage is sinful. God said he wants it to be within marriage. Now, God didn't give this to any of the animals. God didn't have a, a special ceremony for the cows so that they can all have mama cow and papa cow or the birds. But God did something special for man because man was created in God's image. And we became a living soul. We are different. We're unique to the animals. And God ordained marriage for the human race. So God had a purpose. But we see that also God created for his pleasure. He created for his pleasure that God might be enjoy the humans that he created. Unique to all the animals, God in love created humans in his own image. And he gave us the ability to choose and reason and communicate and worship and love God. That's unique to the human race. We are able to communicate and love God. And God created humans to walk and talk with him in the garden. We see there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 8. Genesis 3 and verse number 8. And Adam and Eve is they. And, and Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard the voice in thy garden, and I was afraid, and I was naked, and I hid myself. So what do we see here? God was coming down and walking in the garden with them. God was fellowshipping with them. God was spending time with the creation that he had made. And this was God's intent. He regularly, this was a, a something that appears from the text here, it appears to be something that was a daily basis where God would come and walk and talk with Adam and Eve in the garden. Can you imagine what a wonderful thing that would be to walk and talk with God Almighty, the creator of the universe? One day we'll be able to do that. We know the Lord is our Savior. Spend all eternity with Him. But Adam and Eve got to do that on a regular basis. God created them to be able to walk and talk with him. God wanted them to be with him. God loved the human race. That's why he made them the way he did. You were created special. God created you because he loves you. And he wants to spend time with you. And he wants you to be with him for all eternity. That's why he has, uh, has devised the plan of salvation to redeem us from our sin. To be able to forgive us and wash us clean and bring us into his family. And, and allow us to be reconciled to God again so that we can be in fellowship with God. That is God's plan. That's what God desires. Way to the other end of your Bible. We see one last verse that I want us to point out here. Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 11. Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 11. 
It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. For Thy pleasure they are and were created. God created humans for His pleasure. He wanted to be able to enjoy them. And that tells us something very important. We are not just a a nothing blob. We're a human being that God designed specially so that we could communicate with God. That is special. You are important to God. You are not just a, a number amongst the billions of this world. You are important to God. And you can be sure that if God knows every little bird that falls from the tree, and God knows the name of every star in the sky, the trillions and trillions and trillions of stars in the sky. God knows them all by name. God cares about you. God cares about you. And so having a biblical worldview of creation and origins is very important because we see here that God has a plan for us. He has a purpose for us. He has a design for us. He has a desire to be with us. He has a desire to commune with us. That is God's passion. And that's what he wants. Very important. If we were just a blob of nothing in the universe as a result of an accident that exploded and looky here, what happened? We got something nice. There's no purpose in that. There's no purpose in that. And so as we look at this this morning, I want you to see, and as I told you right at the beginning, folks, I have just barely scratched the surface. There is so much more you can dig into here. So much deeper you can dig and find out much, much more about this. And I encourage you to do that. But I want you to have a foundation here so that we understand some of the basics to be able to have a proper worldview of origins. Evolution claims that nothing exploded millions and billions of years ago and evolved upward without purpose. The observable evidence in our universe, like the natural laws, thermodynamics, the life, the fossils, the age of things, the design, the complexity of all that we see around us, all favor creation. Even things like the amount of salt in the ocean. If the ocean was billions and billions of years old, the ocean would be so salty that nothing could live in it because the salt is accumulating regularly. And they know that. There are, the planets are, you know, and moons is moving away from each other a little bit. The, the moon gradually gets a little bit further away and things just move a little tiny bit. I mean, we're talking about fractions, but the scientists have calculated these things. That's fine for 6,000 years, but if you make it 6 billion years, we would be freezing to death. Or the moon would be too close. That would mean that originally the moon would have been sitting so close to the earth that that there's no way possible. The gravity pull would be so powerful that the tides would be out of of order. It it wouldn't work. Everything fits about 6,000 years ago. All these things fit together. It all works together. And so the more you dig, the more you study, the more you learn, the more you'll find out that it, the evidence that we see around us in our world, though we cannot prove it, though we cannot re, reformat it, we cannot test it, 
We see all the evidence and we say the evidence points to one thing. A wise, great creator that created everything 6,000 years ago in six 24-hour days. we got a wonderful God. And folks, I want you to have a solid, biblical worldview of origins. If you're still struggling with some of this, dig a little deeper. If you want to have a heavy read, here's a great book. One of the best books ever written. It's called Scientific Creationism. And it's by Henry Morse. And it's an awesome book. Pretty heavy reading, but it's got some amazing, amazing things in it. If you're on Audible, you can listen to it for free on Audible. Uh, Scientific Creationism. It's an amazing book. It's got lots of information in it. And I had to read that when I was in Bible college, so it's not a brand new book, but the information in it is up to date in the sense that it hasn't changed. There's, and there's lots more out there. As I said, the Answers in Genesis website is a great place to go. There's other good creation websites. There's lots of things there that will help you and teach you and train you and guide you in this. Folks, we don't need to be ashamed. You know, the devil wants us to hide our heads and say, Oh, I, I don't believe in evolution. I, I believe in the Bible. Oh, you, you're one of those nuts. <laughs> That's what the devil wants us to think. Listen, we don't have to hide our heads and hang our heads in shame. We believe in creation. God created it all. And we admit, we believe that by faith, yes, but all the evidence points to our belief is true. All the evidence that the evolutionists believe points to things that don't make sense. That doesn't add up. It doesn't come together. Our faith in the Bible is far more accurate. And we need to just say, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe God. So I encourage you, don't be ashamed of God's word. Stand on the word of God. God loves you. He has a purpose for your life. It's important for us to understand that.